It's very unfortunate, as we both have stated, and I just hope that NCAA learns from this, understanding that they're going to lose a lot of players going forward if they continue to punish kids in this manner, because there's no point in going to college if you have to sit out. I've always been in the right spots defensively, and I've always put effort into defense. I think I just got labeled and put into a box because of the fact that people call me an undersized guard, even though I'm 6'4", over 200 pounds, and being so good offensively to where they have to find something that you're not as good at. If you're in trade rumors, that means you have value. That means other people respect and appreciate and understand what type of player you are and what you have to offer. And that also means that you're an asset. You'd rather teams value you enough to want to trade you for pieces than not be able to include you in a trade and be forced to keep you, but you're not playing and you're not happy. So I think there's a happy medium there. Welcome to the Tony Gonzalez episode of Pull Up. That's right, episode number 88. We've come a long way and still have a long ways to go. Currently in Portland, Oregon, it's raining as usual, but I'm happy. I'm alive, I'm healthy, and thriving. And we won two games in a row consecutively with another game coming up shortly against the Orlando Magic during our homestand. A long homestand in which we'll play the, the Timberwolves, followed by the Utah Jazz on the road the day after Christmas. Jordan, I'm jealous. You're in Hawaii, is that correct? That's correct. I was in Miami last week. I don't even think you knew that. Jeez. Um, that was more of a work trip, but Miami to Hawaii, I feel very blessed right now. And uh, it's been great. Uh, I finally have been able to get some sun. I'm, I'm, I'm going slowly with the sun. I'm not, I don't want to get too much at first because <laughs> then I'll look like a, like a charred pineapple. Um, right. But uh, no, it's been great. I've been able to watch a lot of hoop. That's the best part, including another 30 piece from you uh, last night. So congratulations on that. I appreciate it, man. We're just trying to get as many wins as possible, get back in this playoff race. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I said we we're about two weeks away. Now I'll stand firmly on what I said and say that we're about 10 days away from being back in that, you know, six to eight seed range. I think we're like a, a win or two away from being an eight seed right now, just based on where we're at and, and who else is playing um, OKC. Uh, Dallas is up there. Sacramento's up there. Those are a few teams that are in that, you know, seven to nine range. Obviously, Dallas is going to go through some lumps without Luka, but I think that they'll be able to weather the storm and stay firm in that in that playoff race. But it, it's going to be a fun ride. 50-plus games left. A lot can happen. A lot can change. Um, as we've all seen throughout the, the years in the NBA, you know, everybody's an injury away from their season turning upside down. Everybody's uh, a, a few games in a row, drop a few games in a row away from sliding uh, just based on how close the Western Conference is and has been historically. But we have something something to talk about outside of the NBA right now. Big news today. Big, big, big news. Big news out of Grind City today. Big news out of Grind City. I'm surprised it took him this long to do it, honestly. And for those of you that aren't aware... James Wiseman has announced that he will leave Memphis, hire an agent, and prepare for the upcoming NBA draft. He was suspended 12 games, stemming from an NCAA investigation in which he basically received compensation to his family without knowing. His mother was paid $11,500 in 2017 before accepting the head coaching job to his alma mater. And it makes things interesting because Penny Hardaway is the one that did it, making him a booster. Um... It's interesting because Penny had no idea he was going to, be, going to become the head coach 
at Memphis. He was just kind of looking out uh, for someone who was trying to progress and move forward and, and, and put themselves in a better position, not only for themselves, but their families. So it's sick that he even had to explain himself. And it's even sicker that the NCAA decided to punish this kid who had no idea um, his family was receiving compensation for the move. And the move just helped put him in a position to receive more exposure, to be in a better area and to potentially get ready for the NBA draft, which is what he ultimately has to do now. Jordan, are you surprised that it took this long for him to declare for the draft and hire an agent? You know what? I'm actually not because I was like, if he was going to decide CJ that he didn't need college and that he just wanted to prepare for professional basketball, specifically in the NBA, then I think, you know, we would have seen him go the route of a Lamelo or Archie Hampton, who we obviously have had on the pod and go overseas and play something that Brandon Jennings did. A lot of guys, you know, Terrence Ferguson, where they felt like, um, let me go be a pro somewhere else. So with that in mind, for him to be suspended 12 games, which I thought was BS, as you know, but for him to then wait to this point, um, I guess it is a little surprising, but it's more surprising to me that uh, he was in this position in the first place because I thought he would have, like the fact that he filed an injunction to me and basically challenged the NCAA to me felt like, okay, I'm going to stay and I'm going to try to make this, make this right and, and take Memphis to the NCAA tournament and, you know, really make a name for myself from a national perspective in March. So um, I think it's more surprising to me that he found himself in college and then ultimately um, filed the injunction and then, and then decided that, you know, last minute, that he didn't need uh, college basketball anymore. I, I, I'm, I'm really excited for him, though, because I feel like now he can really do what a lot of guys um, in, his, in his position would like to do, which is just focus on basketball and not really worry about school at all. Yeah, I think it's terrible, honestly. Um, I'm not surprised that he's decided to go to the NBA. I think that what's more surprising is that He tried to go to college. He tried to do the right thing. He wanted to be a kid for a little bit longer. As you said before, he's obviously good enough to to go overseas, to take the R.J. Hampton route, to take the LaMelo Ball route, and basically give up a chance to play in college, a chance to be a kid and ultimately become a professional right away. I think it shows you what type of character he has. But at the end of the day, you have to do what's best for you. Um, Obviously, he's an all-world talent. He's going to go to the NBA. It's... It's essentially a guarantee. It's just a matter of is he the first pick or the second pick at this point. So why waste your time not being able to play in games? You know, this is this is causing him to not be seen by scouts. It's causing him to not be able to be in tip top shape. Why not just go train now because you're going to become a professional uh, anyway? I think it's the it's the, I think it's the right decision for him to make. I think that. If he would have known that he was going to be suspended coming into this year, he probably would have went overseas or sat out the year like Darius uh, Baisley did for the Oklahoma City Thunder. So it's it's very unfortunate, as we both have stated, and I just hope that NCAA learns from this, understanding that they're going to lose a lot of players right. going forward if they continue to punish kids in this manner because there's no point in going to college if you have to sit out. I, I, yeah, and I'll, I would argue that um, – this this reflects way more poorly on the NCAA than it does on Wiseman or even the University of Memphis or or Penny for that matter. Because who loses out now, CJ? The kid the kid loses out to a degree, but selfishly, like as college basketball fans, 
we're the ones that lose out. The NCA loses out because you're you're now taking away one of the premier players in the country from one of the one of the premier teams, a team that a lot of people thought could be a Final Four club. And this is not to say that like the most important thing for for Wiseman was to go to a Final Four and have a great march, but we've seen it help. We've seen great college seasons with great freshmen uh, have have you know, big impacts on their careers, whether it was Carl Anthony Towns or, or Anthony Davis. Um, you know, just thinking about some of the Kentucky guys, Zion Williamson last year, like the NCAA was a stage for them. But now the NCAA is losing Wiseman. He barely played at all. Like you said, he tried to do the right thing. You know, he tried to go to school. And uh, it's it's selfish for me to, to, to say this, but I'm, I'm just like jealous that we're not going to, or I'm envious of, of, of the fact we're not going to be able to get to see him anymore. I think it's really sad, uh, and uh, it's not going to hurt his draft stuff. Like, he's going to be number one or number two, but it is going to hurt the NCAA. And uh, it's, it's ironic that the NCAA is the one that, you know, put the suspension out there, but they're the ones that are going to be penalized more than anything. Right, and I'm just happy I got a chance to see him play um, – here in Oregon not too long ago in the Nike Hoop Summit. That gave me a chance to be able to watch a lot of future pros. Historically, throughout my last seven years, I've been able to watch a lot of guys who end up being drafted and potentially go one and done or come straight to the NBA from from abroad. But we're lucky we live in an era now where social media is so prevalent and these scouts have so much access to these high school kids before they uh, eventually go to the to the collegiate level. They're able to see them at AAU tournaments. They're able to watch practices. They're able to see them at a lot of these Nike, Adidas, and grassroots events to where in years past and maybe a decade or two decades, two decades ago, this would have really hurt this kid. But now he's already been seen. He has a grade on scout.com. ESPN has the rankings. They have a great breakdown and understanding of the type of impact that he's going to be able to have at the NBA level. You're talking about a seven foot one center who's skilled. He can run the floor. He can make jump shots out to 15 feet. He has touch around the basket and he's still growing, still learning, still becoming more of a man uh, in his own right. Yeah, I was talking to an NBA executive about the decision of of, um, of leaving and and not going back to, to school and to playing, and he said it doesn't really affect Wiseman in the sense of uh, like his game. It more affects, if anything, the image of does he really love the game? Is it competitor? Uh, you know, is he fiery enough? Like basically all the question marks of of any of a lot of young players, but specifically. You know, someone like Wiseman, who we really like as fans, uh, if we're going to find something to critique, it's going to be, well, because he's so talented, it's very easy to sit back and say, did he really go 100% on, on that for that rebound? Or did he want that 50-50 ball? Did he run the floor? Like, these are the same, a lot of the same question marks that we've asked about other really good players that have become great players. Like, I, like when, um, when, when, Kyle, when Carl Anthony Towns was coming out, people were wondering, is he physically tough enough? And, and we've obviously seen that to be, uh, you know, completely ridiculous, but these are the question marks that you, you find for kids because, uh, because we, this is the way we, 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 we view players, DJ. And I would actually argue though, that uh, one more note is that I don't college basketball and the NCA, like, I don't think they understand their place in the ecosystem of, of, um, of the entire process. Like college basketball is supposed to be 
a launching point for careers. And right now, if you think about some of the elite players in the country, they're either hurt or they're on bad teams, you know, freshmen. You know, Wiseman leaves. Paul Anthony's now hurt. Um, the kid at Georgia, Anthony Edwards, is, is similar to a Ben Simmons situation where he might not make the tournament. Like, what's the upside for these guys to play and get nitpicked and possibly get hurt? There's not a lot of upside besides the fact that these kids just really enjoy playing in college. I think that's the biggest thing. A lot of them already know they're going to become pros at some point. Um, they've known it since the AAU days when shoe sponsors and, you know, the Nikes, the Adidas are all inviting them uh, to various camps and clinics. And they're being rated on all these all these websites and the projections of the mock drafts on draft.net and ESPN are coming out. So these kids have a pretty good understanding of where they're likely to be drafted. Anthony Edwards is another guy who's in the in the running to be the number one pick in a draft. I've watched him play on TV. He's a pro. He could have come out of high school and been a pro right away. That's the type of skill set that he has, the understanding of how to create space. He just he's an NBA player. When I watch certain guys, I can just kind of tell like this kid was going to play in the NBA one day. Same thing I said about Jamal Murray when I watched him play when he was younger. I seen the same thing in De'Aaron Fox. There's a bunch of guys that you watch early on and you just know they're going to become a pro whenever they're ready to become a pro. And now I think the biggest thing is for these kids like Zion was in a position where everyone knew he had all world talent athletic ability. He was a viral sensation. And you're talking about a guy who was thinking about going back to school for a second year because he loved being a kid. He loved the college atmosphere so much. A guaranteed number one pick in the draft was thinking about going back to school. You fast forward, Carmelo Anthony's obviously on our team now. We just talked the other day and he told me that you know, he was seriously considering going back to school after he won a national championship at Syracuse. And I remember watching the interviews and him, him saying, you know, I would definitely consider coming back, especially if we don't win a championship this season. You talk about guys who know they're going to become millionaires, who know they can play in the NBA, but just really love competing. They love being a kid. They love the college atmosphere. I say it all the time. I love playing in the NBA, but there's nothing like being in college. There's nothing like being the big man on campus at a university. It's just the feeling is different. The exposure is different. The lack of responsibility of not having to be a grown up. All those things are amazing. And I love being an NBA player, but there's just nothing like being in college because it only lasts, you know, for a few years and then it's over. And then you kind of reminisce on the old times. So I think just to your point is th these people really just love playing basketball. These kids enjoy it. They want to be around their friends. Maybe you're good enough to go to the NBA right away, but your friends aren't that you played AAU with, that you grew up with. So that kind of pushes them and forces them into college. And then they enjoy competing against each other and kind of building their brand of basketball before going to the NBA. I hear what you're saying. The, the problem is that Wiseman didn't get a chance now to build his brand. Right. From, from that, if you're, if we're going to argue of like big picture, not just the basketball side of things, then the kid loses out because he's not able to build the, the you know, all the endorsement style points and all the things that Zion got to experience, for example, last year. And he didn't even, let's say he had a really good year he plays and Memphis has a great year and, and he doesn't even get the opportunity now to say, let me come back or let me consider coming back for a second year. Like, so the NCAA is now Right. And that's the saddest part. That's okay. So I hear what you're saying. It, think about if you were in that position and obviously I know your path was much different and, and that's what, one of the reasons why I think fans relate to you so well, see, but imagine if you were in this position, you were the number one overall recruit in the country you go to school, 
and within after three games, you're suspended for basically a third of the season. And then right when you're about to come back, you decide, you know what? Let me just go pro. Your entire college experience is basically over before it got even even remotely got started. Yeah. I couldn't imagine going through that, honestly. I'm sure it was an emotional roller coaster ride, being able to play with your teammates and then have it taken away for something you had no control over, something you didn't even do is is beyond me. But it just kind of shows you like the decision making process for a businessman. Like he's a he's a kid at, you know, 18, 19 years old, but he's becoming a businessman right before our very eyes, understanding the value of himself, understanding what he has to offer, not only to college basketball, but to the NBA. A guy got to play three games with his friends and his peers and experience college a little bit. And now I think he just realized that there's no point in playing in college basketball when you know you're going to be the number one overall pick. I think he went to school with the intention of enjoying it, trying to win a championship in I think Memphis would have been in position to do just that. I think with James Wiseman, they have a chance to win it all, which is probably how he envisioned going to the NBA. But now he has to kind of change course a little bit. And it's sad that he's been forced to do this. And it's something that I can't relate because I can't relate to being the number one overall player in the country coming out of high school. I can't relate to knowing that I'm going to go pro at 18 or 19 because I just wasn't there yet. But I can imagine that he had some help with this decision. And I'm sure Penny played a role in just kind of letting him know that, look, man, you're going to be the number one pick. Do what you have to do. I'll respect your decision either way. Because at the end of the day, Penny cares a lot about these players because he, he once upon a time was one of us. Yeah, the NCA to me though, it's it's whether or not it was ever say on purpose is it feels like the NCA is purposely saying to um, elite players like we don't we don't need you we don't want you it's it's like they're almost being the players like Wiseman are almost being penalized for the fact that it is a one and done situation and I guess the bigger question then would be how much of this is solved if the if the NBA takes away the one and done and either makes it two years or as we basically expect in the coming years uh, to have, to have uh, the ability to go straight out of high school. Like would that fix part of this problem? Because then, then the NCA maybe doesn't have as much power. I think it could definitely alter the NCAA's power. I think a lot of kids would go pro out of high school. And I think a rule change is looming. I think at some point a rule change is going to be coming to where kids will be able to go pro out of high school. And I think that'll eliminate some of these situations to where parents or family are accepting money uh, behind the kids back and, and ultimately affecting the kids' eligibility. But I think that's something that's going to happen in the future. But the NCAA will always have power because they're the only institution in the world to where they just essentially take advantage of your skills and your traits and make millions and millions of dollars off of you. I just get so frustrated when the NCA finds a way to um, to penalize someone that really didn't have anything to do with it. Like, if anything, if you're really going to penalize uh, uh, Memphis, it, it should have been Penny or it should have been the school. Uh, maybe lose a scholarship or whatever. But don't take away a third of the season, 12 games from – potential number one pick. There's an article in the USA Today that goes more into detail about it, basically saying that, um, you know, if you're, if you're looking at this from 30,000 feet, think about how significant it is for James Wiseman 
to say no to March Madness uh, and, 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 you know, the rest of the season for building his brand on and off the court so that he can just be in the gym by himself working it out. Like, that's not, that says more about what the kid feels like he, uh, or more about, it says more about the NCA and like its lack of appeal than it does um, anything else. Like that's, that's a, that's a real problem for, for college basketball moving forward. It's a huge problem because besides the experience of being in college, the friendships you'll make, you're not, you're not getting your degree in six months. These kids are doing four to, four to six months at the university. The NCAA tournament starts. They play in the NCAA tournament, and then they declare for the draft shortly after, and they leave school early. So it's not like you're getting closer to attaining your degree. So you know you're not getting your degree in six months. And for some of these guys' cases, all you can do is hurt your stock. Like if James Wiseman doesn't play, he's not being evaluated. They're basing everything off of what they've already seen. He has no chance of injury. He's already a top three pick. He's already a top three pick. And now he's basically securing himself, similar to how football players have done in past, by sitting out the bowl game. You know what I'm capable of doing. You see my body of work. Now I'm going to work on my game. I'm going to make sure that I'm not hurt. I'm going to come into this season healthy as a rookie and be in position to start training as early as possible so that I can make the transition from prep to pro, similar to how a lot of players have done it. You start training now, you're able to really focus on certain things that'll be beneficial to your transition to the NBA. Maybe it's shooting, maybe it's strength, maybe it's conditioning, maybe it's meal plan. Maybe it's just understanding how to be an adult. You start taking courses on media. You really start to figure out how to become a professional in all aspects. And this becomes your full-time job as opposed to having to go to class, go to practices with your team, travel, playing collegiate games. You're just out here now becoming a professional 24-7. It's, it's your full-time job now. But doing that is not as fun, right, as like playing on national TV and playing in March Madness. But that's the whole reason to go to college, to get that experience and be a kid, like you said, for as long, maybe another six months or whatever it is. So for him to say no to that, that like, think about what that means. It's not just the short term. It's the long term of how many more, you know, young players are going to look at what James Wiseman is doing or LaMelo Ball, LaMelo Ball and RJ Hampton for that matter and say, that's what I want to do. Yeah. I I agree, man. I, I think this is something that can be solved and should be solved soon. And I think that the moral of the story is that James Wiseman, he made this decision, but I'm sure he had help. And I'm sure the people that helped him make this decision were not happy with the NCAA's ruling. And as a result, they waited until it was almost time for him to come back to announce that I won't be coming back. In fact, I'm going to the NBA. But thank you. <laughs> Thanks for all your work along the way. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. 
Get IXL now, and listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. CJ, you know what else I really appreciate is um, CJ McCollum, All-NBA Defensive Team. How about that? <laughs> now, for those who don't know, you're one of the leading shot-blocking guards in basketball, and uh, you are basically the new, the new guard eraser. Uh, what is going on with this shot blocking surge and and also field goal percentage against is excellent. I believe it's under thirty five percent. Is that accurate? Yeah, man. I'm just out here paying attention to the scouting report, adjusting to the NBA game. Seven years in now, I have a pretty good understanding of play calling, what teams like to run. Um, how to help, when to help, rearview contest. All those things have been very important. And I think it's just a credit to preparation, getting stronger, understanding the game, and being in the right spots. I think half the battle is just being in the right spots. And when you're younger, a lot of times you're in the wrong spot. You're behind on plays, you're getting hit by screens, you're not maneuvering properly, or you just are losing sight of the ball. And I think now as I've gotten older, I've learned to be in the right spot not get hit by screens as often. Get a contest no matter what. I try to get a contest no matter what. That's my biggest thing because no matter who you are, when there's a contest, percentages drop drastically. So all those things have played a factor. And then I've just been fortunate enough to get some blocks. Um, I like to say that I have pretty good athleticism, but I just don't show it very often. I think I have flashes to where people see it and they're like, wow, I didn't know he could jump like that. You know, hence my chase down block last year, not to toot my own horn, but I can get to the top of the square when I need to. That was nice. When I need to, but not all the time. <laughs> There's no value in wasting it. You know, when you need to do it, you can do it. Exactly. So you're, like, I don't even know if you're aware of this, but you are, you lead all guards in blocks, 23. For Drew Holiday, who you have told me is and many guys will say is one of the elite uh, perimeter defenders in basketball. He has 21. Batiste Thibel, who's a great dude, great young rookie for the uh, Sixers, has 20. You have 23 blocks. Um, so what's more surprising to you? The field goal percentage against, which is basically contest, or the actual uh, Dikembe Mutombo <laughs> from the guard position? I think the blocks are more impressive to me because I've always been in the right spots defensively and I've always uh, put effort into defense. I think I just got labeled and put into a box because of the fact that people call me an undersized guard, even though I'm 6'4", over 200 pounds. I don't know why I'm still considered undersized. I think it's just the perception of going to a small school, playing multiple positions and being so good offensively to where they have to find something that you're not as good at. And you're an elite offensive player. It's not a lot of guys out there who are elite on both sides of the ball. You know, you got Kawhi, you got Paul George, and then it's hard to continue to list. Drew Holiday's pretty good at both sides of the ball, but there's not a lot of players who are elite at both sides of the ball. So they kind of figure out what you're, what you're lacking or what you're not great at, and they ride that wave and continue to talk about it consistently. But what you don't hear about is when you succeed at those things. Like when I'm blocking shots and I'm performing well on defense, no one talks about it. It's funny how analytics and statistics are important to certain people when it can prove their point. But when it can't prove their point, when it, when there's not valid points behind the analytics, um, it's interesting how they don't bring it up. Like 
in terms of best defenders in the NBA right now based on field goal percentage, I'm at 34%. So you got Kawhi Leonard, you got me, you got Marcus Smart, and you got Drew Holiday and those types of guys. Those are all elite defenders. I'm in the group of elite defenders. So are the numbers skewed or is it just, hey, CJ's been really locking up. He's been focusing in on that end this year. You won't hear anyone discuss it. I won't bring it up anymore because it doesn't really matter to me because I know how I approach this game. I know how much work I put into it. And whether I score 20 at night, and whether I give up 20 a night, that's a completely different story. But the numbers show I've consistently gotten better every year. And some people follow numbers, some people don't. But numbers don't lie, and my eyes never lie. My eyes know that I'm real. I'm good at basketball. I work hard at basketball. And there's a lot of great players in this league who, who are under these false narratives, and I think it's unfair. But that's my two cents. Well, I, 24 blocks is, is a lot of blocks. The 23, I played four years of college basketball, I don't think I had 10 blocks in the entire four years. That's a lot of blocks. So I, I appreciate it. And, and uh, I don't think I've missed the Blazer. The only, I might have missed a half of one of your games this year. So I've seen it, but I honestly, no lie. I, I didn't think you were anywhere near 23 blocks. Um, how much of this is, is vision versus sight? Because this is my favorite part of talking about defense. And just give us a brief breakdown of quickly, I guess, have you done anything differently than allowing you to achieve uh, such good numbers from a defensive standpoint? I think just preparation, man. I've continued to get smarter about how I approach the game, how I study film, player tendencies, being able to get over on screens and chase. A lot of those blocks are rearview contests, so they're not all at the rim. It's not like I'm beating people at the rim every play like Whiteside and some of the elite shot blockers in the NBA. Some of them are at the rim, but a lot of them are just me chasing guys off screens and being able to get that late contest to author the shots or just sitting down, turning the guy, turning the guy, and making it difficult for them to score. The best thing about the NBA is understanding that great offense triumphs good defense consistently on most possessions. You can play good defense and a great offensive guy is still going to score. But for me, I just play the law averages. I know how I don't like to be guarded and I know certain spots on the court to where if I can force guys to certain spots, there's a higher likelihood that they're going to miss. And I just kind of live with that. Sometimes I get scored on, no big deal. Sometimes I get a stop. And a lot of times it's just because I'm forcing people to certain areas on the court and just having a better understanding of where my help is. If I can funnel somebody to white side, that's always a great idea because he's a shot alter and a shot blocker to where a guy becomes less, less comfortable once he gets closer to the rim when he's around. So those are just strategic ways to kind of funnel defenders and just really starting to understand the game and timing. I've always had great timing. I've always been able to time people's jumps and try to be the second jumper to get a contest. And it just this year, I just so happened to have more success. And uh, and you also start to take it personal. I think that's the biggest thing. When people say you can't do something, you try to figure out ways to do it. And I've never been one to be influenced by the public perception, but I know that the better I am at that end, the more success our team will have. So that's what really drives me to show that, look, I can play on both sides of the ball. I can go guard an elite two guard. I can go guard an elite point guard. I can hold my own against threes and do what's necessary for our team to have success. And then the, the kicker is that I still have the stamina, the conditioning and the wherewithal to be able to score at the offensive end for four quarters and make it that much more difficult on the other team. Yeah, and I've seen it. We've all seen it. Um, but by the way, shout out to Dane, top 30 in, in blocks. Uh, also, Pat Connaughton, 12 blocks. Uh, we know Pat can get up. So I, was, I wasn't too surprised to see that. Um, so uh, I, I, any, anybody else on that list? That, I don't know if you looked at it. 
that surprised you? Uh, Kent has uh, 20, which is um, number f- number four, or tied for number four with uh, with Matisse. And uh, I'm wondering, anybody else surprised you on that list? Have you, have you seen uh, it? I haven't seen the list, but I'm not surprised that Pat's on there because he's elite athleticism. He always posts hashtag stereotypes. You know, they say white men can't jump. He always mm-hmm. posts the stereotypes and says that he's against the grain. And Pat is explosive. He's athletic. He blocks jumpers. He blocks people at the rim. Kent's another guy who gets chased down blocks consistently, so I'm not surprised he's on the list. And I joked with him the other day saying that I'm the best shot blocker in the NBA under 6'7", and it's hilarious because I have more blocks. I think it's just so funny to just see their reactions. But Wow, yeah. There's a lot of guards in the NBA who are elite who are elite at chase down blocks. And I think Kent's one of them. He gets one every couple of games. He gets a nasty chase down block. And I think Drew Holiday has just showed historically that he's extremely hard to score on and he's athletic enough to meet you at the rim. Yeah, he's been in some trade rumors. Um, there's been reports that he is, Pelicans are open to trading him. Um, I guess it's not surprising at all. I think the better you are as a player, and certainly the more uh, friendly of a contract you have, uh, the more likely you are to be traded or, or be in, in, involved in trade rumors. Um, it's not fun, though, right? I mean, to be to to hear yourself and to hear random things. Oh, this guy could be dealt. Like, I, it's not a fun thing to be included. In. No, you never want to be included in trade rumors, but you also realize that it's a part of the game. And I always say that it's better to be wanted than to not be wanted or needed at all. So. If you're in trade rumors, that means you have value. That means other people respect and appreciate and understand what type of player you are and what you have to offer. And that also means that you're an asset. It's better to be an asset than to not be an asset because in that case, you'd rather teams value you enough to want to trade you for pieces than not be able to include you in a trade and be forced to keep you, but you're not playing and you're not happy. So I think there's a happy medium there, but I'm sure players don't like hearing about it depending on the circumstance and situation but at times a change of scenery could be a breath of fresh air for certain guys if it's a situation where they're not happy or change is just necessary based on their career trajectory where the player's heading and where the organization and team want to head just made out of line so then change is definitely necessary i went back and listened to one of our older episodes and we actually both were in agreement with um markel fultz that change would have been a positive for him. And, uh, you know, he's had a, a nice resurgence in Orlando. He's averaging almost 12 points a game, shooting 47% from the floor, four assists, and uh, he's only played 25 minutes. So that's an example of someone that took an, a new opportunity and ran with it. And, and that's the, you know, the, the, the good side of it. He's, he's, you know, you can take it one of two ways. Uh, he took it the good way. And um, be interested to see how the trade market evolves here. Uh, Drew is certainly one of the big names, but I, I would I'd still be surprised if he's dealt. But 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 that's just me. We'll we'll have to monitor that. Um, I asked I, I went on Instagram CJ and I asked a few people uh, what would be their uh, their questions for you this week, and I'm going to give a couple of the best ones some love. And one of them was um, I can find it here. Uh, let's see. Oh, what do you think of Chris Stapp's uh, basically Porzingis's role and responsibilities now that Luca is uh, is out with an injury. That is a good question. Now that Luca's out with an injury, I think Kristaps Porzingis has played better. 
I think he's taken some of it onto his shoulders, responsibility of scoring, being more of a vocal leader, having more of a presence in the locker room. I think a lot of that responsibility was on Luca as the point guard and best player on the team. But now that Luca's out, I think Chris Stapps is stepping up. I think Hardaway Jr. is stepping up. I think Seth Curry's stepping up. And a lot of those guys are playing better basketball, D. Wright included. And I think in return, their team is becoming better. So that when Luca comes back, I think they'll be a better team. By the way, that question for uh, Porzingis was from Guri Gerver Parhar. I don't even know how to spell that. This one is from Uvalb95. Browns players asking the team to come get them. Basically... Like, I think the question is Odell's comments, for example, or anybody that's saying, "Hey, I don't want, I don't really want to, I don't really want to be here." Um, you say to that, "What?" I say, I'm not surprised uh, of the talk of players telling other teams to come get me out of here. Uh, it happens all the time, even in the NBA. You, you talk to players pre, post game, or during games, and they're expressing interest in potentially leaving um, their current team and wanting to join your team or another team in general. So I'm not surprised at it. But I think the biggest thing and the moral of the story here is that OBJ, Juice, Baker, Freddie, Chubb, they have a great nucleus. They just have some things they have to figure out. And it takes time to build that chemistry. And I think based on that talent alone, guys are going to be willing to stick out a little bit longer and try to figure out if they can succeed before forcing a trade. Okay, two things stuck out there. Uh, two things stuck out there. One is you mentioned Freddie, and you included him in that nucleus. Now, CJ, you're a loyal guy, but we need to get Freddie out of there. He's a part of the nucleus as it stands. As it stands right now, he is a part the of the nucleus. Is a catastrophe. He has stunted Baker. He finds ways creatively not to get the ball to Juice and OBJ. They're down 17, and he goes, you know what? Now I'm going to start giving Chubb the ball. He is the. He might be the worst head coach in football right now. What do you think about that? Ah, <laughs> oh, man, that's tough. I don't. He's struggled. He's been inconsistent with his play calling. He's taking up a lot of the blame for play calling and not having his players ready at times. But some of it is performance. He can't throw the ball for his quarterback. He can't catch the ball for his quarterback. So they have to tighten up. They got to tighten up, and that that means everyone. Okay. Well, that's a that's a good. That's a nice way to put it. They, they do need to tighten up. Uh, the other part that stuck out was, uh, I told this to be true, but I'm interested if you could elaborate a little bit on it without naming names, of course. But guys talk about their situations even during the game, like, oh, F this, I want to be out of here. I'm not getting the ball. Like, how prevalent is that? There's a lot of table talk amongst teams and players and organizations. I'll just put it like that. You know when someone's unhappy – not only on your team, but on other teams, you know. In some cases, you actually feel like it's easier to tell on another team if someone's unhappy because you can really see it like during a game, something's not right. Right. Body language, how they react, and then the whispers. People talk, man. People talk. That's the biggest thing. People are always constantly talking. Well, I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll table that for now, but we got some good stuff uh, in, the, uh, in the coming weeks here. Um, before before I let you go, I would be remiss if I did not get your college football uh, playoff predictions. We got Oklahoma and LSU and Ohio State and Clemson. I know you love Clemson, but who you got in the final? I'm going to go Ohio State versus LSU. LSU over Ohio State. Mm, that hurts my heart to say it out loud. Wow. Really interesting. LSU, by the way, is a 12.5-point favorite against Oklahoma I think they win. I I believe they win that game by three touchdowns. 
And I think Ohio State's going to smash Clemson. Um, I said all year it's the best team in the country. So I got Ohio State over LSU in the title. So that means we'll be, uh, I think some more wine could be on the table. Oh, we flopped. Oh, man. You're taking OSU, huh? That team is a joke how good they are. I love Joe Burrow. Uh, LSU's receivers, their corners, I mean, it's they are loaded. But I, I think Ohio State is the best team in, in college football. And uh, they have the best running back as well in that playoff, J.K. Dobbins, who gets no credit, but he is a monster. So, yeah, I got the Buckeyes. And um, I look forward to wagering some, uh, some grapes. I look forward to it as well, man. I may change my prediction a little bit later. I'll keep you posted on that. Um, but it should be a fun, fun ride. I appreciate you. I appreciate all our listeners out there tuning in, as always, faithfully. Change is coming, Rip City fans, so stay locked in, stay loyal, stay down, because the come up is on its way. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, radio.com backslash pull up with CJ, or wherever you get your shows. And don't forget to pull up. Pull up.